Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the EquiConnect equine podcast brought to you by McKee Pamela Equine Services. My name is Dr. Kyle Goldie. And I'm Karen Fell. We're so glad to be talking to you guys again. It's been a little while. Absolutely. We're, we're looking forward to uh, our next episode. Uh, we've been working diligently on trying to put some new topics together. Um, we have some guests planned, which will be kind of cool. We've got a great topic today. I'm very excited about. We do. And uh, the cool thing about this topic is that it was actually requested by a client as part of some of the feedback for the podcast. So it's uh, relevant. It's relevant and we listen. If you have any ideas or anything you want to talk about, just send them. We do. Yeah, we really do value feedback. Uh, we want to make sure that the content that we're presenting is is relevant and interesting. And I think this is a this is a really good topic today. Uh, so what's new in your life, Karen? Well, uh, the last episode I purchased a house and now I've actually have the keys to the house. You're just nailing it. <laughs> So uh, very exciting, uh, discovering some some new things, maybe some renovation tips and tricks, and oh my god! So <laughs> that's what's sounds, awful. Me. <laughs> sounds awful. Sounds awful. I'm happy for you. Good, good for you. That's that's great. What about with you? I've seen some honey around the clinic here. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the the bees have done well. I'm anticipating about probably oh, a good 600 pounds of honey to be harvested this year. It's um, oh my it's gosh, kind of a daunting task. The bees aren't really willing to give it up so uh, you, you do get stung occasionally even despite the suit yeah. makes you strong right <laughs> yeah, oh absolutely the reward is is worth it in the end so mm, yeah. very delicious absolutely yeah, thank you thank you yeah <laughs> they worked hard for it Alrighty, we were just talking about uh, any news or equine health issues that we wanted to quickly discuss before we started the episode. And one thing we thought about is Cushing's testing. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've uh, touched on that in one or two episodes so far this year. But as we get into the fall season, it's actually the most uh, sensitive time to test your horse for Cushing's or uh, PPID, whatever you want to call it. So if you have a horse that, you know, is starting to show signs of Cushing's disease, we're getting into the season where testing is most relevant. And, and why is that? Oh, it's funny you should ask, Karen. <laughs> so basically, what we're testing for when we test for Cushing's is ACTH, which mm -hmm. is a hormone in the body. The, the test for Cushing's, uh, we're looking for elevated levels of ACTH, okay? Mm -hmm. It's been observed very reliably that in the fall, there's a, a, a natural increase in the level of ACTH in horses. And so it becomes the most sensitive time to look for Cushing's because it's already going to be naturally elevated. Initially, there was controversy about testing them in the fall. That, yeah, because yeah. it would be a false heightened level. Yeah, like a false positive kind of thing. Exactly. I've only been practicing for eight years now i think and this has actually changed in my short career oh, wow. um, you know what i mean it's kind of interesting but at the beginning of my career they mm -hmm. would say uh no 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 you don't test them in the fall because you could get a false positive right but i think what we're starting to realize is that those cases that are particularly high in the fall are a good screener for horses that are at risk at the very least okay I see. yeah so so horses that may be kind of on the line mm-hmm throughout the other months of the year or throughout the other seasons. 
all of a sudden the picture becomes more clear as mm-hmm. you get into the fall. So what sort of symptoms are our clients looking for if they are concerned about Cushing's? Can you think of any? Some things that I've realized kind of over the years is for me, the number one I always think of is the coat, like that shaggy coat that maybe they mm-hmm. don't shed out or it's kind of um coarse, long and coarse. Like it's, it's just different, not yeah. healthy, super yeah, healthy looking. No. Here's a $5 word for you. The word is pathognomonic, which basically is a uh, clinical sign that is almost definitive of the disease in terms of uh, diagnostics. Oh, okay. So if you see a really, really long, hairy coat mm-hmm. on a horse, that is basically considered a pathognomonic sign for Cushing's disease. Oh, okay. 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 I- so sure, it could be other things, but nine times out of 10, it's relating to Cushing's. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I always just thought it was a potential symptom of it, but it wasn't. Uh- In theory. And the medical term for that is hirsutism. Mm. Her, her suit, yes. Her a, suit. Her suit. Okay. Yes. Good mm-hmm. word. Good word. Definitely so, is. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, her suitism is a uh, is definitely a, a sign um, that you should call your veterinarian and consider having some some testing done. It doesn't take very long to get the results back. Um, depends on what lab we send it to, but generally you can get the results back uh, quite quickly, and uh, you'll get some answers. It's quite a treatable disease when treatment is started early in the mm-hmm. disease. You can get on top of it a lot easier. So. Yeah. So we talked about that a lot longer than I was anticipating, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, that is that that's just our our health tip for the episode. Consider having your horse tested for Cushing's if you have concerns. But let's say you've got a uh, five year old that just doesn't have a very good coat. Should we test that one? I don't know because I always put Cushing's as kind of an older older horse. You're right. It it generally is an older horse disease. It's it's usually horses that are at least 8 years of age. Okay. Okay. So if I saw a young horse with a poor coat, I'd be thinking more what? I was thinking like maybe perhaps dietary. Yeah, exactly. Nutritional issues, that type of thing. Okay? Okay. So yeah, exactly. If you have an older horse that has a, a shaggy coat and it's definitely something to keep on your list. Okay? okay. Mhm. All right. So now for our main topic. Our main topic for today is muscle diseases. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, as I was doing the research for this episode, it reminds me how often, even as veterinarians, we overlook these diseases that can be quite serious. Mm -hmm. So as I was doing the research for the episode, I was reminded of the fact that we often overlook some of these diseases because uh, some of them don't have the most specific signs. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just kind of interesting. A lot of them mimic lameness or just poor performance in general. And, you know, we're often our first thought is usually lameness, which isn't necessarily wrong because Mm -hmm. one of the first paradigms of veterinary medicine is that common things are common. Mm -hmm. Right. So another one they used to always tell us in vet school is when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. That's right. Right. It's very, very important paradigm to keep in mind so that you don't go on wild goose chases too Mm -hmm. often. These diseases do definitely occur with some regularity. We'll discuss uh, some of the breeds that they're more likely to be observed in. So if your horse is showing some of these signs and you have the right breed of horse, perhaps the right age, you know, maybe it's worth considering and mentioning to your veterinarian in terms of concerns. Sounds good. I'm excited to learn more. One thing I should say is this episode would not be brought to us today without the incredible research from Michigan State University and Mm -hmm. Dr. Stephanie Valberg. Dr. Stephanie Valberg is 
the authority on muscle diseases in horses. Oh, wow. Okay. And she's been credited with the discovery of, of a lot of these things in terms of, well, actually discovering the diseases and sometimes just discovering the tests for them, etc. Huge, huge credit goes to uh, Dr. Uh, Valberg of, mm-hmm. uh, of Michigan State University. Many of the tests that have been developed actually involve samples, which are obtained and sent to her lab. Oh, okay? okay. Because they're the authority on them. You can get the most confident answer back on you in terms of a diagnosis. Okay. Awesome. So the first one we're going to talk about is exertional rhabdomyolysis. Now, boy, what a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Exertional rhabdomyolysis, we've all heard by its more uh, lay title of tying up. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. I would not have put those two together. Yeah. So we're all on the same page now. So uh, Karen, have you heard of horses tying up before? I have. Yes. Yeah. And have you actually seen one that has tied up acutely? I have not. No? Okay. Well, tying up can be quite dramatic. They can be very, very painful when it occurs. It's usually observed um, shortly after the start of exercise. The weird thing about it is it doesn't necessarily have to be intense exercise. A lot of the times it happens just in the first few minutes during warm up or something like that. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. It's I not would... like they have to be at maximal effort or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's one thing that, that people often overlook. So these horses uh, that do tie up have a tendency to be very painful, mm-hmm. reluctant to move. Right. Okay. And it's most evident in the in the hind end. Okay. You can almost watch the gluteal muscles swell. Oh gosh! Like in the in the cases I've seen, um, particularly at uh, endurance rides, those have been the the worst cases I've seen. You actually see the horse's muscles. Actually, in standard breads too, I've seen a few of those. You can imagine a horse that has a nice flat back kind of thing. It actually develops that that groove in the in the right. middle along its. Uh, spine yep. between its butt cheeks, basically. You know what I mean? Gosh. Um, that's how significant the muscle swelling oh is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the muscles are hard as a rock. Right. Yeah. yeah. Usually it starts out with them being reluctant to move and then just not moving at all. Some of them will lay down. Uh, I've yes. seen some lay down and not get up for 12 hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It can be very, very scary. In a situation of acute tying up, mm-hmm. you'd call your veterinarian out. And what we'd usually do as veterinarians is assess the severity. If you see a horse that has really, really firm muscles, reluctant to move, it is going to be treated aggressively. Mm-hmm. And I'll get to why in a moment. But usually we'll start with some butyrbanamine for pain. We will address dehydration, okay? So some of these horses may be dehydrated and that might have been a precipitating cause, particularly in these acute episodes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll address that. The biggest concern in this is actually not of the muscle, but of a product of muscle damage. Okay. So muscle, when it becomes so acutely inflamed like this, basically dies and is injured and releases the cell contents, okay? And one of the components of the cell contents is called myoglobin, okay? Which is very similar to hemoglobin. Mm -hmm. But the myoglobin will accumulate in the kidneys, being filtered out of the blood. So one of the next signs you'll see after a horse starts showing this reluctance to move and the painful muscles and and swollen muscles is uh, very dark colored urine. And I don't mean like dark yellow, I mean coffee colored urine. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's like, I'm not exaggerating. It's it's like, it's very dramatic. And uh, all of that brown color is myoglobin. Uh, oh, being, just 
being Rebate. excreted. Yeah. But the problem that you can run into is if that myoglobin is allowed to accumulate in the kidneys, it can actually lead to renal failure. So kidney failure. Oh, gosh. Okay. So I actually am aware of, of a horse that didn't see a veterinarian in a short enough time span. And a couple of days later, the horse died of acute renal failure. So it can very easily happen. Mm -hmm. So most of the time when we see these cases, regardless of whether or not they're dehydrated, mm -hmm. most of the ones I've seen weren't, we're still going to give them probably 30 or 40 liters of fluids. Okay. And okay. The, it, that's to try to kind of break that up so it doesn't get the buildup? It's basically dilution. Yeah, we'll give uh, large amounts, a large bolus of, um, of IV fluids because mm -hmm. the IV fluids act as a flush of the kidneys. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because the body interprets this um, increased fluid volume as excess. And mm -hmm. so it needs to be urinated out. In doing so, it helps to dilute the myoglobin and get it out of the kidney. Okay. So oftentimes, if I'm treating one of these cases, I will uh, literally keep administering IV fluids until they pee clear. Okay. Yeah. Which makes sense because yeah. then it's, yeah. you've diluted everything and returning yeah. back to the norm. Exactly. Yeah. It's the old, the solution to pollution is dilution. And then in the course of, of giving all those IV fluids, you will likely correct any electrolyte abnormalities okay. and uh, dehydration and all that type of thing. So- is tying up as well, I remember there is one muscle one where you do a blood sample as well. Is that for tying up or is that for another? Yeah, I, absolutely. You really don't need to do an extensive blood test to find out if a horse is tying up or maybe maybe it wasn't as dramatic as we've described. Okay. It's more mild case. The horses seemed a little stiff. In those situations, it's worth doing some blood testing. The main enzymes that we're looking at in the blood are CK, which is creatine kinase, and AST, which is aspartate transaminase. Those are two enzymes that are released when muscle is damaged. Okay. Uh, okay. So then if the test showed up that it, they were elevated, then we would say that these things have been damaged and it can... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was it, it's, a, it's a good sign that we've had significant muscle damage because those enzymes are very closely related to muscle. Some of the different enzymes that we look at on a blood profile um, maybe aren't as specific, but mm -hmm. these ones are really specific to muscle. So if they're elevated in an exaggerated fashion, you have pretty good evidence that there's been some muscle injury, muscle inflammation kind of thing. Okay. And can that blood test be done at any time? Or I feel like there is one blood test where, okay, we have to wait a certain period of time before it's relevant. Is that for this one? You're right. That's a great question. So you don't necessarily want to do that blood work during the immediate episode. The blood work is best done probably a good six hours after, okay? okay, because it takes a while for those enzymes to elevate. So if you do it too quick, you might get a false negative. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, great, great question. Exertional rhabdomyolysis or tying up, this acute tying up, can be caused by many things. As we mentioned before, it could be related to, let's say, uh, dehydration, it could be not enough electrolytes, and excessive sweating in hot weather, that type of thing. It can sometimes be difficult to, to tell why your horse just spontaneously tied up and especially if it's only ever done it once once okay often there will be some factor that you can identify like the horse um, was extremely agitated before it happened or the horse had uh, a respiratory infection 
Oftentimes, if I have a uh, racehorse that maybe puts in a poor performance, we do some blood work on it, and there's evidence that it tied up mildly, it's also sick. Okay, so they're not breathing as well. There could be some lameness that could contribute to it. You know, they're just using their body in an unconventional way and and you could get into issues that way. But anyway, so there's lots of possible causes of these acute episodes. Mm -hmm. Okay, and as as long as it only happens once, that's kind of how it will be treated. So Mm -hmm. um, usually we just rest the horse for, you know, 24 to 48 hours, at least until it can move comfortably and mm-hmm. then, you know, small paddock turnouts and then maybe a gradual reintroduction to exercise. You're going to talk to your veterinarian about that for the, the right way to go about it, usually based on what the uh, blood work is telling us. Okay, So often mm-hmm. we'll repeat the blood work and go from there. Some points of interest in terms of uh, what can I do to prevent tying up, making sure the horse has adequate vitamin E and selenium in his diet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Research would suggest that tying up isn't caused by a lack of vitamin E or selenium, but that vitamin E and selenium are essential in maintaining healthy function of the muscle cell. I okay. see. Mm-hmm. Lack of it doesn't cause it, but a lack of it may predispose kind yes. of thing. Minerals, electrolytes, making sure that your diet has sufficient amounts in them. And uh, that also you're administering electrolytes that are consistent with the weather that you're riding in, right? So if it's really, really hot weather, you need to make sure you're supplementing your horse's electrolytes adequately. Yes. Okay. So just make sure that whenever you're administering electrolytes to your horse, that they also have access to fresh water that doesn't have electrolytes in it. Because really what we're doing when we're giving electrolytes and water is we're saying to the kidneys, here's the ingredients that you need. Mm-hmm. figure it out. Gotcha. Okay. Kidneys are amazing at balancing electrolytes and hydration levels. So uh, we just give them the, give Option. them the ingredients and, and they'll, they'll take care of everything else. But obviously if you've compromised their health because of an acute tie up episode that wasn't dealt with properly, then mm-hmm. you've got other issues. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we initially were talking about acute exertional rhabdomyolysis, right? Mm -hmm. These uh, spontaneous one-off sort of occurrences. There's another condition that we see particularly in thoroughbred racehorses called uh, recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis, which is basically a chronic episodic sort of repeated bouts of tying up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Basically, these horses will present with all the same signs as our previous case, Mm -hmm. except it will happen on perhaps, perhaps a more regular basis kind of thing. We'll see it in some standard breads, but mainly thoroughbreds and also disciplines where thoroughbreds are commonly used. So eventing, for example. What makes thoroughbreds more prone to this? Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting question. Dr. Valberg addresses this by saying, like, what is the underlying defect in the thoroughbred that leads horses to tie up? And I don't think they're exactly sure, but one thing that they were able to find in a, in a research study was that if they took muscle biopsies, not the typical muscle biopsies that we do, but in a laboratory type mm-hmm. setting, if they took these muscle biopsies, they found that the biopsies would spasm when exposed to certain drugs. Okay. Okay. And also to electricity that they wouldn't see in other horses. So... They're not exactly sure what specifically is going on. What they do feel is that it has something to do with how calcium is regulated in the cell. 
Okay. Uh, so calcium is really important for both muscle relaxation and for contraction. And for okay. whatever reason, these horses get a little out of balance in terms of calcium and its role in the cell. They basically just go into a big muscle spasm oh, kind wow. of thing. There's kind of a typical horse that you'd see in these cases, and that would tend to be a young, nervous filly okay. on a high starch diet. Okay. okay. So if you have a horse that seems to be showing these signs, or you have a horse that fits those signs, maybe think about ways that you could manage all of those factors, because in doing so you can prevent this from occurring in, in some cases. You can't control age. You can't control gender. Right, yeah. But you can uh, control temperament to some extent. So if mm -hmm. you have a horse that has a tendency to be very nervous, yep. maybe you figure out ways to manage that horse that keeps it more relaxed. So it gets some turnout, you know. Maybe when it exercises at low intensity, right? Because remember right. what we talked about, it doesn't necessarily happen during a race. It mm -hmm. can happen just while they're, like you see it in standard breads all the time, and they're just jiggy jogging around the track for 15 minutes and mm -hmm. all of a sudden they tie up. But anyway, maybe they get a little bit of uh, trank before they go out, like a right, little bit of astrazine or something like that, just to take the edge off. And then not having, um, you mentioned the starch diet as well. Yeah, exactly. So changing to a high fat, high fiber sort of diet, low, low starch, low sugar, maybe considering your hay as well, making sure that that isn't a really high NSC or high sugar hay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So all those factors um, can contribute. There isn't really a great test for it because if the horse ties up on multiple episodes, you've kind of diagnosed it, you know, your, yes. yourself. What you can do is, and we'll, we'll get into it into our uh, next topic, mm -hmm. what you could do is a muscle biopsy and through exclusion, if it's not any of the other things that you see on muscle biopsy, then it's probably just recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's one thing that could be considered. Any questions about that stuff, Karen? I don't think so. No. no? All right. It makes sense. Yeah. I think we just need to give all these horses like muscle rollers. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that should do it. Horse-sized rollers. Yeah. So the next topic we're going to discuss can also present as sort of tying up episodes and that type of thing. But this one is very interesting. Oh, uh, one, one thing we didn't talk about on recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis is, mm. is it irritable? Oh, yeah. Great question for yourself. <laughs> and it does tend to be. Oh, so okay. If I had a racehorse, like tied a, up. a mare that tied up often, I would really think twice about breeding her. Wow. I wouldn't think that it being more of a, a muscle thing that it would be, but... Yeah, but you think of it, those muscle fibers, there had to be something special about them to respond to those stimuli mm -hmm. in a certain way, right? Where other horses don't. One of the few things that can really explain that is genetics. And yep. then they have done studies where they looked at offspring from certain crosses. So maybe offspring from a certain mare, let's say she had six foals. Okay. All of them were from the same stallion mm -hmm. and all of them tied up on a regular basis. Then they change stallions and they don't anymore. Okay. So that, that like there is a heritable component to it. So definitely if you're making breeding decisions, think about what you're breeding and who you're breeding to yeah. um, because some of these things uh, you're not going to get away from. Well, it's interesting because personally, I didn't realize tying up was such a significant thing. I yeah. have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. 
we don't necessarily see as many cases as if you worked on a truly racehorse practice, I like see. you worked mm-hmm. at Woodbine or something. Yeah, I think you'd see a lot more cases. Definitely. But what we are going to talk about next, I think you'll find might describe some horses that we do see on a more regular basis. So our next topic is type 1 polysaccharide storage myopathy or PSSM. And uh, this is the topic that one of our clients had kind of brought to our attention as Mm -hmm. something that they would like to hear more about. So this is for her. PSSM1 is primarily a disease of American quarter horses. Mm -hmm. We now know them as PSSM1 and there's also a PSSM2. But back not even too long ago, we used to have all these diseases called PSSM, EPSM, EPSSM, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Okay. In actuality, all those acronyms were likely describing two possible diseases. Okay. Okay. PSSM1 and PSSM2. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those diseases that I was just describing were basically diagnosed on muscle biopsy. Okay. Okay. What they would do is that you would take a muscle biopsy and you'd expose the sample to certain stains mm-hmm. and you would see accumulations of glycogen within the cells, abnormal accumulations of glycogen within okay. the cell. What's glycogen, you ask? Glycogen is a uh, fuel source, an immediate fuel source for muscles. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so we have a lot of it. Uh, yeah. On a molecular level, it gets really complicated, okay. but basically there's too much of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. For example, in PSSM1 cases, mm-hmm. they actually have a 1.8 fold increase in glycogen compared to normal horses. Wow. Uh, so okay. almost two times as much. Yeah. Right. And the microscope or histology techniques, they were able to visualize that. You could just okay. see the glycogen on the slide. But Dr. Valberg's lab was able to determine that PSSM1 is genetic. Okay. Okay? So there's actually a genetic mutation that leads to PSSM1. And the interesting thing here is that genetic test tends to be the distinction between PSSM1 and PSSM2. The genetic test. Right. Okay. So PSSM1 has a genetic test. And if you test positive for PSSM1, you have PSSM1, and that's backed up by the muscle biopsy findings, the abnormal glycogen. Mm -hmm. PSSM2, in general, on a muscle biopsy, Mm -hmm. has all the same things as PSSM1, except that it's not genetic. Okay, Okay? so that's a difference between in terms of testing for these. Yes, exactly. In all practicality, that's the difference. Mm -hmm. One, There's one specific gene. It's a gene called glycogen synthase. There's a mutation in that specific gene. PSSM2... They don't really know. Okay. They don't really know what's what's causing it. Okay. Gotcha. That's where the testing kind of starts is you do the, the DNA test. Mm-hmm. If you have the right mutation, boom, you have PSSM1. Yeah. Okay? okay. If you're negative, then maybe we have to look at the biopsy, which you'd submit at the same time anyway. Right. But we'd look at the biopsy and see, okay, we're negative for the genetic test. Do we have that abnormal glycogen in the cell? Mm-hmm. And if we do, then we're PSSM2. I see. Makes sense? Yep, I follow in. Okay. Basically, PSSM1 is going to present like a lot of tying up uh, cases, just like our previous cases. You're going to have cases that are more recurrent. So it's going to be like our recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis, except that we do have a genetic predisposition for it, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Or an actual genetic test for it. Mm -hmm. 
these horses will have a tendency to have exercise intolerance, so maybe don't have a lot of energy, okay. and will have persistently elevated CK levels. So that's, again, that muscle enzyme okay. that, that we're always looking for in cases of tying up. So mm-hmm. it's just basically an indication that we have this chronic yep. um, evidence of muscle inflammation. The signs most commonly associated um, are the the typical tying up um, uh, signs, um, and they're often seen first in an individual horse when they just start training. Okay. Okay. Like mm-hmm. they're when they just start exercising, or if they're coming back to training after a period of rest. Okay. Okay. And that's one thing that you'll find is uh, in a lot of these cases, rest isn't a good thing for these horses. Right. Yeah. It's important in that initial stage when it hurts too much to move, mm-hmm. but just like with arthritis, you know, you got to keep, you got to keep moving. Okay. Keep things loose, keep moving. Exactly. Motion is lotion, <laughs> right? <laughs> so often these episodes start after light exercise of short duration and only mild intensity. Again, okay. So it's not like they just galloped for five kilometers or something like that. They, mm-hmm. these ones just, you know, you're just out for a little jog and boom, they're, they're showing signs of tying up. I think okay. this is that's something that's very fascinating for me because again, I thought for tying up it was more those like the sprints, the yeah, yeah, big it's, exertion. It, almost never. It's gonna mm-hmm. happen when they're warming up. It's wow. it's it's weird. We're generalizing it, but generally it's low intensity exercise. As wow. I say, just think of standard breads that are, you know, just jiggy jogging along a track mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they can't even move. Like, what the heck is going on here? God. Yeah. So, you know, the management is going to be all the uh, same, like in terms of the acute episode. Mm-hmm. We've talked about uh, what causes it. Okay. Inheritance of PSSM1. Mm-hmm. So, PSSM1 is actually an autosomal dominant trait. Do you know what that means? So, it's something that's, I'm trying to think of another word for dominant, but it, it's a strong trait that comes through. So, it won't just be kind of, I'm thinking of like red-haired people where it can get weeded out like it's a, a weaker of them. Oh, recessive. You're talking about recessive? Recessive. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Where no, this one's strong? It's dominant. If a trait shows complete dominance, mm-hmm. what that means is that if, if you have a two of every gene, mm-hmm. right? One donated from each parent, mm-hmm. Okay. There's a couple different uh, variations here. So let's, okay, let's talk about this one, for example. Okay. This is genetics 101. Okay. <laughs> so in genetics 101, you can have homozygous dominant. So let's say we call this gene, gene A. Okay. Dominant, we'll call big A. Okay. Okay. So if you're homozygous dominant mm-hmm. or a parent is homozygous dominant, that means it's big A, big A. You got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Homozygous recessive. Mm-hmm homozygous meaning you have two of the same gene mm-hmm. okay would be little a little a okay okay making the big a would it not <laughs> no would two, okay no. that's not so how you it have, works you're, you're, two wrongs uh, don't make it right <laughs> no. so if you're if you're homozygous dominant yes. you're big a big a mm-hmm. if you're homozygous recessive you're little uh, a little a i got you and it's still there it's just okay yep exactly and if you're heterozygous mm-hmm. that means you're big a little a Okay. Okay. So what it means is if a trait is autosomal dominant, Mm -hmm. that means that if you have any big A in the offspring, Mm -hmm. that is going to show that trait. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay? So that means that if one of the parents even has only uh, one big A, Mm -hmm. and let's say it's the mare, and she contributes that to the full, Mm -hmm. and the stallion is little A, little A, Mm -hmm. that means you have a high likelihood Basically, if any of the dominant alleles are present mm-hmm. in the parents, even if they 
only have one of those dominant alleles, if they make it into the baby, you're going to see this this trait. Wow. Okay. okay. The moral of the story is if you have a horse that has PSSM1 and you don't want to have to deal with PSSM1 in the next generation, mm-hmm. don't breed that horse. Don't breed it. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Let's say you own the mare. She's big A, little A, and the stallion is little A, little A. Mm-hmm. The stallion is going to pass on a little A every time, mm-hmm. right? The mare is going to pass on a big A or a little A to the full. If she passes on the big A, then you have the disease. If she passes on a little A, you don't. So if wow. you're breeding an autosomal recessive stallion mm-hmm. to a heterozygous mare, mm-hmm. there's a 50% chance you're going to pass that trade on. Wow. Right? Risky. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, it wouldn't be worth it in my assessment, but it, it's not that it's not a disease that can't be managed either. Mm-hmm. So uh, PSSF1, as we discussed, causes abnormal glycogen storage in the cell. And that seems to lead to these cases of tying up. So what they found is the best way to manage these cases is through both diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. Okay. What we're really trying to avoid are high starch diets, Mm -hmm. sweet feed, corn, oats, barley, molasses. All of those have been shown to exacerbate cases of PSSM. And if you find you need to add more calories to a diet, which often those are added to a diet for that reason, Mm -hmm. you would add them to the diet in the form of fat instead, because these horses tolerate fat just fine. It's the the sugar that seems to exacerbate things. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. What uh, Dr. Valberg found was that if only diet is used to try to manage these cases, about 50% of them improve. Okay. Okay. If both diet and exercise are managed as per the recommendations, mm-hmm. about 90% of horses will, oh, wow. will have very few episodes of tying up. Okay. So that's a, a really important thing. Breeds that are most likely affected, Belgians. Interesting. Yeah. And Percherons, really high levels. You know, we don't see so many of those in sport, but, you know, they do make up the heritage of some of the warm blood mm-hmm. breeds, okay? Or they could be involved in warm blood crosses yes, and that type cross- of thing, right? So those would be a factor in that situation, as well as quarter horses, paints, and Appaloosas, mm-hmm. okay? So if you have one of those breeds and you have a horse that's exhibiting these signs, maybe it's worth at least starting with the genetic testing yeah. to see if they're, if they're positive for it. Diagnosing PSSM, we discussed that there is a genetic test for it, yes. okay? And it's quite reliable. And uh, we also uh, look at muscle biopsies and uh, your veterinarian can take that muscle biopsy. There's a very specific technique that's outlined on Dr. Valberg's website. Mm-hmm. That's basically taking from the hamstring muscle, okay. the semimembranosus muscle. That's about it. And then you'd uh, just prepare that as per the uh, instructions from Dr. Valberg and you, you send it off to the lab to be analyzed. Again, getting back to management, Dr. Valberg's recommendations in terms of rest, um, as we discussed, rest is generally counterproductive and predisposes PSSM1 horses Mm -hmm. to further episodes. Basically, if a horse does have a tie-up episode, once the horse's CK level, that blood Mm -hmm. enzyme returns to normal, we start a very gradual increase in exercise. Usually, you would do it about two weeks after any dietary changes are made, Okay, okay, just so we don't have too many exacerbating factors. Mm -hmm. It would start out with, you know, maybe five minutes of, of walk trot and gradually building up from there. Your veterinarian can help you come up with that exercise program. Yes. And then lots of turnout. Often these horses are easy keepers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they don't really need a lot of extra calories. Of course, turnout, there's 
lots of pasture sometimes. If you do have a lot of pasture, you would um, make sure that they wear a grazing muzzle or if there's too much pasture, maybe they just get a dry lot or something like Mm -hmm. that. Getting back to diet, calorie balance is really important. Okay. But these horses tend to be easy keepers. So sometimes complete feeds aren't really appropriate for them. Okay. You could, yeah, you could think about a high fat, high fiber feed or something like that. But oftentimes those need to be fed in sufficient quantities to provide enough vitamins and minerals. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a, a given feed might, they might say you need three or four kilograms of that feed a day. And, okay. and I've, I've said this to people at, at various times and they're like, holy jumping. If I were to yeah. give my horse that much, you'd be fat as a whale. Okay. So that means that that feed isn't really appropriate. Yeah. Right. So a, a lot of the time what these diets are going to be made of is a, a good quality grass hay. Usually you're trying to find a hay that has low sugar. So uh, I think we've talked about this in in some of our other episodes, Yes, but we want a non-starch carbohydrate Mm -hmm. uh, content of less than 12%. And then we would base the diet on that. So hoping that they get lots of calories from their hay Mm -hmm. and then getting their vitamins and minerals balanced with a a good quality vitamin mineral supplement and Mm -hmm. your equine nutritionist could help you with that. And then finally, if the hay and vitamin mineral supplement aren't maintaining sufficient calories, you could add a, uh, a fat <laughs> to it. There are some other products out there like um, rice bran and things like that that can be useful. But again, you can talk to your uh, nutritionist and, and veterinarian to find out what's most uh, most appropriate for you. But ideally, just like any equine diet, you start with the forage and, yep. and build from there, right? Right. And we talked about how in PSSM uh, cases, most horses that are well managed in terms of diet and exercise can do just fine. Perfect. But everything has to be done strictly and cannot rest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they get too much rest, you, you could be asking for another episode. All right. So now we're on to PSSM type two. Right. Okay. And can we remember from a practical standpoint how the difference between type two and type one is a test? Right. So the type one has a genetic component that type two does not have. Very good. Very good. And I might have been oversimplifying that, but basically there's a specific enzyme that doesn't function correctly in those. That's that uh, glycogen synthase enzyme in Mm -hmm. those horses doesn't function properly. So there's a very specific Mm -hmm. mutation to a very specific gene that isn't functioning correctly. Okay. Mm -hmm. PSSM2 is a little bit more wishy-washy. Uh, breeds that are commonly diagnosed with PSSM2 are quarter horses and warm bloods, including Dutch warm bloods, Swedish warm bloods, Hanoverians, Frisians, Cell Francais, Westphalian, Canadian warm bloods, Irish sport horses, etc. Oh et my cetera. gosh. Yep. Many other light breeds have also been diagnosed with PSSM2, uh, Morgans, Arabs, Standardbreds, and Thoroughbreds. Wow. Okay. So it, it does affect a lot of different breeds. The cause of it is basically unknown we know that there's something wrong in terms of glycogen accumulating in muscles basically your muscle biopsy which we use to diagnose it looks very similar to pssm1 i'm sure dr valberg could tell the difference very easily between Mm -hmm. the two but for all intents and purposes it's going to be very similar okay Okay? Mm -hmm. what does pssm2 look like in terms of symptoms in arabs and quarter horses Mm -hmm. um it's basically the classic tying up symptoms. Okay. In a quarter horse that's showing these recurrent episodes of tying up, mm-hmm. it's probably PSSM1 or PSSM2. Okay. 
I don't think you could distinguish it in terms of clinical science. Okay, you, mm-hmm. you really have to go to the testing to figure out which version it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, in warm bloods, they occasionally tie up. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they occasionally have the high serum CK, mm-hmm. the, the lab, the lab result that can help us. But most commonly, the clinical signs of type two are more related to poor performance. Interesting. Okay. okay. So that's what makes this one so interesting. And that's why I was saying at the beginning, maybe we aren't thinking about this enough in some some cases that just, you know, those duds, you yeah. know, you, ho- you get these horses that you think should just be world beaters and mm-hmm. they just don't seem to really get the job done. Yeah. You know, maybe this is something we're overlooking in, yeah. in some of these cases, right? Dr. Valberg lists an undiagnosed gait abnormality, sore muscles, drop in energy level, unwillingness to perform work after five to 10 minutes, all kind of ambiguous signs, but could be anything based on those descriptions, right? And that's why uh, a complete workup is really, really important in Mm -hmm. these these cases. Like we have to make sure that, are we dealing with a lameness issue or aren't we? Yeah, I think you kind of want to make sure you've crossed your T's and dotted your I's in terms of the background work before you consider this mm-hmm. okay but but it is something worth keeping on in our minds and and that you know that's that's kind of one of the lessons from today other signs might be uh, painful back and hindquarters reluctance to collect and engage the hindquarters poor rounding over fences mm-hmm. gait abnormalities and muscle atrophy when the horse is out of work okay i think we should really consider this more often Definitely. As a possibility. We've talked about diagnosis. We've talked about clinical signs. Mm -hmm. So how do we manage these horses? Well, again, it's going to be tied to diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. These horses tend to do better, again, with a, you know, low starch and sugar diet, Mm -hmm. uh, fat added when needed. You know, Mm -hmm. if they're not easy keepers and they need some extra calories, add some fat. Another thing the research has uh, shown is these horses tend to do better on higher protein diets. Oh, okay. okay? So they're saying uh, supplementation with at least 20% protein in your vitamin mineral mm-hmm. uh, concentrate or feed, whatever you're feeding. And another recommendation is to try, if you can afford it, a supplement that contains whey protein. Okay. Like yes. from cow's milk, mm-hmm. because that has a better distribution of amino acids than you might find in some of the other sources of protein that we Mm. use in horse feeds okay yeah so i thought that was really interesting i wasn't aware of that no um but apparently whey protein can can really help these horses obviously that's not the be all and end all but from a supportive perspective that can that can really help uh finally exercise is important because it just helps the body use all these nutrients better okay when these nutrient pathways are called upon more regularly the enzymes are better prepared to deal with them okay Uh, we want to avoid rest we want to use grazing muzzles if we need to Mm -hmm. because we don't want too much lush pasture yes as causing issues reintroduction of exercise is going to be gradual Mm -hmm. and an exercise program is something that will need to be discussed with your veterinarian often in these pssm2 cases we're really trying to warm up these horses Mm -hmm. well okay so uh, lots of work at the walk stretching Mm -hmm. that type of thing okay Uh, another thing that we want to avoid in a lot of these cases is a lot of collected work Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 
you kind of want to just do a long and low mm -hmm. um, work for, for quite a while before you start asking for a lot of collection. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really, really important. What can we expect from these cases? Well, if you uh, pay close attention to both uh, diet and exercise recommendations, about 70% of warm blood horses show a significant improvement. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really, really interesting disease and something that we should uh, keep on the forefront of our minds when we're working up some of these weird mm -hmm. performance type cases. Diagnostics are available. Yeah. Yeah, your veterinarian can, can help you with that for sure. So we have one more muscle disease that we're going to talk about, and then we're going to do a brief case. Okay. okay. This disease is actually one of the newest diseases to be identified, and it's called equine myofibrillar myopathy. And what's interesting about this one is that there's a high likelihood that a lot of horses that were previously diagnosed with PSSM2 okay. actually mm -hmm. have myofibrillar myopathy. Okay. okay. It's a it's a new disease and in some ways like a subset of PSSM2. It's not really, but the uh, in terms of muscle biopsies and things mm -hmm. like that, they're going to look sort of similar. Okay. Where this one differs... Mm -hmm. We, we still have the glycogen accumulation, okay, uh, okay mm -hmm. that we are seeing in, in the stained uh, sections of muscle on our, on our muscle biopsy. Mm -hmm. But what they actually found was that this was more like pools of glycogen that were appearing. Okay. okay? And where those pools were settling is in breaks in the muscle fibers, okay, or parts of the muscle fiber, mm -hmm. okay? And so what it ultimately involved, as Dr. Valberg describes, is a disruption of the orderly alignment of the contractile proteins called myofibrils. What it took to act accurately diagnose this condition was the development of a special staining technique. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And once they came up with the staining technique, they started to see a difference between our PSSM2 cases mm -hmm. and these new cases. Okay. okay. These, I would call them MFM cases. Okay. So under special staining, the first stain that would look for the PSSM2, mm -hmm. you might see some abnormalities there. And then you expose the sample to the other stain that mm -hmm. looks for a protein called Desmin. Okay. And what the researchers found was an abnormal accumulation of Desmin. And so that helped to establish this as a separate disease. Okay. Yes, there's abnormal glycogen, blah, 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 but it's different. Okay. And this is actually on a structural level of the muscle fiber that this abnormality is occurring. Right. Because this additional levels of the desmin is in the muscle fiber, like breaks, you're saying, or like lines. Yeah. Yeah. So the stain mm -hmm. identifies these desmin accumulations. I see. Okay, okay. On the biopsy sections. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so it made it very obvious, you know, it was just, uh, oh, we just need a new stain and <laughs> here it is. Yeah. I'm sure it took years and years <laughs> and years and uh, a lot of oh, money yeah. to, to get it figured out. But anyway, that helped to distinguish some of those cases that maybe weren't responding as well as your typical PSSM2 cases, so like, you, you know, see. these more severe cases, or as I say, just weren't responding appropriately. And then they identified, oh, we've got a whole separate. Yeah. Yeah. disease going on here it, it kind of has similarities but not quite so they don't really know what causes it it generally occurs in arabs and warm bloods mm -hmm. so sort of the same subset as yeah. as pssm2 the signs in arabs are often seen in endurance arabs intermittent tying up but the tie-up episodes tend not to be as severe as okay. the exertional rhabdomyolysis cases mm -hmm. that type of thing they may appear to be 
slightly stiff and have the dark urine, but they won't be completely unwilling to move. I see. Okay. okay. Where, whereas those exertional rhabdomyolysis cases were just so, so painful, right? Yeah. It sounded terrible. Then the other thing that's kind of strange is they don't necessarily have the increased CK and AST that you'd see in the other cases. So it's like tying up, but not quite. It's a little bit different. Yeah, okay. Tr- tricksters. Here, trickster. Yeah. Trickster. Yeah. Warm bloods, again, kind of the same thing as PSSM2. You don't see a lot of acute tie-up episodes or mm-hmm. anything like that, but it's, again, poor performance, stiffness, gait abnormalities, not jumping very well. Mm-hmm. The problem is that, again, all those signs kind of coincide with a million other possibilities, right? Yes. So, yeah, you know, I think that's why these muscle disorders are often treated as diseases of exclusion. You know what yes. I mean? Like, we, wow, we looked at the saddle, we looked at this, we looked at we can't figure anything, we injected a toxin, it's just, you know, yeah. I, and can't seem to figure anything out. And you're like, oh, maybe muscle? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Process yeah, so, of elimination. Yeah, exactly. But again, my thought is that maybe we should uh, be thinking about this a little bit more often. I would say that this disease doesn't have as good a prognosis as the other, as PSSM1, PSSM2. It's still basically the same, you know, you want to avoid rest, uh, exercise changes should be gradual. Like PSSM2, we really want a good warm up, lunging, that type of thing, really letting them stretch before they do any exercise. Diet in these cases doesn't seem to be as important. It's very, very particular to muscle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, The low to moderate starch diet seems Mm -hmm. to be beneficial, but again, being so particular to muscle, uh, that whey-based protein supplement seems mm-hmm. to be beneficial by introducing a different distribution of amino acids. Dr. Valberg summarized her expectations for these horses mm-hmm. by basically saying that these horses are not going to have as good a prognosis as the PSSM2 cases. Interesting, so, because in terms of the they're not as severe, like the tying up the episodes tying episode, and that no, sort of thing. No, so you, exactly. I would think oh, okay, this is better. It's not as severe. But that poor performance just doesn't seem to respond as well to, you know, so we exercise them, we try to manage their diet as as well as we possibly can. But a lot of them don't really live up to their full potential. You know, they're not going to likely make it into the higher levels of jumping Mm -hmm. or dressage, that type of thing. So, okay. Hmm. Okay. That was a ton of information, maybe too much, but I think we handled it right <laughs> yes so we talked about exertional rhabdomyolysis recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis mm-hmm. and then pssm1 type 1 pssm2 and then the um, uh, mfm cases so talked about how they're diagnosed we've talked about how they're managed we've talked about how maybe we're not paying as much attention to these diseases as possible certainly lameness issues are going to outweigh muscle disorders by a long shot Right. But I'm just saying, maybe when we kind of feel like we've tried everything, maybe it's worth doing a muscle biopsy and yep. sending it off to the lab and seeing if there's there's any abnormalities there. Yeah, something right. else to consider. I had no idea that there is this much information and these many things in terms of oh, it's, muscles. It's crazy. And and again, we really um, have to credit Dr. Valberg because um, she is the authority and has, has worked a long, long time on all this research and everything. So, yeah. So, Finally, are at our case. I'm ready. Okay. So, I saw a horse one day on emergency. Mm-hmm. I got to the farm. It was in the fall. I'm not going to say the 
breed. Okay. Um, it doesn't really matter. Okay. So it got to the farm in the fall and the horse looked like death. It was not in very good shape. Okay. <laughs> it was kind of laying in the back of its um, running shed outside. It was turned out with friends, but not interacting with them at all. It was really, really stiff, really, really painful. It was thin. It got up to urinate, <laughs> but it had very, very dark urine. Okay. Okay. So you're left wondering, like, is this horse colicky <laughs> or or what? And then you see the urine and you're like, oh, that, that's not good. Because we know right. that that dark urine is often associated with muscle, mm -hmm. right? And it's the myoglobin that's that's accumulating. Mm -hmm. I treated the horse symptomatically, mm -hmm. gave it some banamine, IV fluids for potential dehydration. I did some blood work on it. CK and AST muscle enzymes mm -hmm. were off the charts. Right. Okay. okay. So it really did look like just this most severe case of tying up you could possibly manage, um, imagine. But it didn't have any history of exercise or, or anything like that. Weird. Well, I took a look around and this particular breed of horse was predisposed to being a little on the heavy side. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So these horses were generally managed on pasture 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And this one happened to be one of the younger ones in the paddock. There were a lot of leaves and that type of thing on the ground. But not so much grass by this point. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And limited hay feeding. Uh, they weren't offering any um, supplements or anything like that. Because generally the horses have been just fine. They're in good weight. They're an easy keeping right. type. Okay. Okay. So anyway, I treated the horse for pain. Muscle enzymes were elevated. Dark, dark urine. I gave it IV fluids. So I was left to, and obviously the owners were devastated, and it turned out they'd had a similar case like oh. it in the past. Okay. Oh, this is very, very interesting. Yeah, usual. Yeah. You know, it's very sad that uh, they've had two horses die uh, from this seemingly similar disease. You know, is it is it a hereditary thing? Is it a toxin thing? Is right. It, right. I started doing more research, and I found the diagnosis. Okay. Okay. So it is a disease called seasonal pasture myopathy. Okay. Oh, okay. Dr. Valberg describes it as occurring mainly in horses that are being pastured for 12 or more hours a day in the fall. There's a lack of supplemental hay, sparse pasture with short grass, often trees with dead wood on the ground, a heavy wind and rain in the previous week that would therefore knock more leaves and things like that on the ground. And young horse and what they found is there's a tree that does grow in ontario okay called the box elder okay mm -hmm. and the seeds of the box elder contain a toxin mm -hmm. and that causes all of these signs and i think what happens is as pastures get more sparse and again mm -hmm. these horses aren't neglected or anything like that right, yeah they're easy to manage they don't need a lot of calories but you know maybe they're bored whatever. Yeah. And they start eating these seeds that are, I don't know what they taste like. Maybe they're delicious. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, but they start eating these seeds. Young horse may, may not have the same capacity to deal with the toxin mm -hmm. and that's it. So that the, this case and, and then this description fit it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And they generally say that uh, this disease is fatal in over 
percent of cases. Oh my gosh! So mm-hmm. it's terrible. Yeah, the moral of the story is: make sure in the fall that mm-hmm. your horses um, have adequate access to forage. Mm-hmm. Vitamin and minerals are supplemented appropriately. Look up how to identify box elder trees. Because if you have box elder trees on your property, mm-hmm. maybe it's worth dealing with those, fencing them off, and, and, and obviously manage the uh, the diet of the horse as well, so that they're not going to be tempted to eat these eat things, that. right? Wow, I had no so, idea. Yeah, it was kind of a, a wild thing, and it was satisfying to come up with a diagnosis because it was so bizarre, but at the same time, terrible because yes. you know, what a, what a sad way to go. And the other thing was. Um, any attempt you make to try to save it is futile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really, really, really too bad. So anyway, that's seasonal pasture myopathy. And uh, the big contributor to that is uh, the toxin in box elder seeds. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry if that was a dense episode. I hope we learned a lot. I think um, there was a lot of information. I definitely feel like I learned a lot. Hopefully, at the very least, it stimulated some more thought in terms of the role that our exercise schedules make on mm-hmm. management of horses, the effect diet can have on our horses, and some of the perhaps underlying muscle conditions that could be predisposing our horses to poor performance. And uh, I think the, the big takeaway for me in these is those warm bloods. Yes. Right. Those real high performing warm bloods that just aren't quite living up to expectations. Maybe yeah. maybe we have a, a muscle disease going on. And the moral of the story is there's diagnostics available. Definitely. All right. Well, what a great day. I think we've had enough podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, I'm Dr. Kyle Goldie. And I'm Karen Fowl. We'll look forward to talking to you next time. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people. Not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.